0: guys and happy monday before i dive into the episode with annie which is so amazing i can't believe i got to like interview someone who i had like like when i first decided to stop drinking um this naked mind which is the book that she wrote was recommended to me so it was really cool to like be able to speak to someone who um, i see as a leader in sobriety world, so to speak. Uh, but before we get into that, I want to just give a quick little life slash weekend update. I was like kind of in a funk for a little bit. Um And I talked about that a little. So, I mean, mostly with my like, therapist and friends. Um But I think that was inevitable. I mean, I can't really complain overall. This like 2023 so far has been so amazing I'm officially 10 weeks sober if you're listening to this which I like can't even wrap my mind around I just can't wrap my mind around that 10 weeks have gone by so far in 2023 like that's wild in itself um but yeah I feel like even though like there have been bumps in the road like last week I was just feeling kind of down and sad and out of it I've also had just so many like positive um things happen I mean even as small as going to Whole Foods and And seeing uh, a non-alcoholic wine sold and um, it was actually much cheaper than like most of the wines I've seen most of them been like in the 25 range and this was like on sale for 12 and it was delicious so highly recommend Geason non-alcoholic rosé delicious Uh, and then South by Southwest is in Austin so it's been like really busy and I also my spring break this week so I'm going to West Texas with a couple of friends I'm super excited about that um, as far as my day-to-day, I have to be honest, I've been a little bit out of the journaling and uh lemon water uh promise I be- made myself. But the one thing I've stuck with is my magic mind little drinks. Um I've talked about them earlier, but I've been trying to cut back on coffee honestly mostly because it's that expensive. Um and these little magic mind drinks are so delicious and they're like exactly what I want in the morning, something kind of sweet. Um, but also like know that it's filled matcha and it's has like it's nutrient dense and it also just keeps me so focused like I had one this morning and because I was kind of just like losing it I, I had a lot going on and it kept me so focused and um, it was just it's also just nice knowing that it's completely like made from natural and contains like n- matcha ashwagandha um, a lion's mane mushrooms and a bunch of other things I can't pronounce but anyways I um feel really lucky that I have a discount code to give y'all if you're interested in trying it. Uh, you can go to magicmind.co slash solace in the city and get up to 56% off your subscription. Um, and then you can just use my code solace20 to either get 20% off your first order or again a total of like almost 60% off a subscription order. Um, so that's my little like health update I guess. And then just this conversation with Annie. She's so smart and she really wrote her book from such a scientific perspective which I really appreciated as someone who like is a science slash math nerd and just like talking about all of the misconceptions we have about alcohol and unpacking why we have them and it was like a real relearning um, book and I think me personally like I read it as I was getting more and more comfortable in my sobriety so I'd almost recommend her book more for people who are just questioning it yeah, she really encourages you, you know, if you're listening and just, or, or if you want to read it and are still, you know, drinking and don't really feel like quitting, that's totally fine. Like she encourages you to drink like while you're, not while you're reading it, but like to not give up immediately um, and just kind of like learn as you're reading. So yeah, you can listen to this episode, learn more about Annie, and then go to thisnakedmind.com to learn more afterwards. But without further ado, here is Annie Grace. and welcome to another episode of Solace and the City. Today I'm so excited to be here with Annie Grace who is the best-selling author of This Naked Mind, The Alcohol Experiment, uh, and more. So Annie, thank you so much for being here today. I just finished um, This Naked Mind and I'm really excited to talk about it and talk about you.
1: I'm so excited too. Thanks so much for having
0: me. Awesome. So I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about yourself. Where are you from? How old are you? Uh, where did you grow up? Where do you, what do you do for work? What's your story? Um, so uh, my name is Annie Grace. I'm
1: 44. I am from Aspen, Colorado originally. Live in Evergreen, Colorado now. And um, I am uh, an author for
0: work. That's awesome. Um, where did you say you live in Colorado now? evergreen i'm not sure my uh my cousins live in denver um but i'm jealous of aspen that's really nice Must like to ski yeah love to ski um so i'd love to go back in time um and learn about your own experience when you were dependent on alcohol because i think it's um very like interesting and i wouldn't say unusual but it's like an interesting i guess like trajectory um so in your book, This Naked Mind, you talked a little bit about, you know, the ways in which your intense job made you feel almost pressured to drink in order to keep up. I can certainly see that. And like, um, for example, I was in sales and sales is a very like schmoozy, like take your clients out and um, things like that. And then my first job was very like party hard. Like we would we would go out and like, Christmas parties and things like that. So um, I was wondering if you could kind of walk me back to that time and discuss how your drinking was before you started um, really like pushing it with that job and then, you know, how it escalated.
1: Um. So it wasn't really significant at all before that job. Like I didn't really drink at all, um, very, very rarely. And then it was really at the job where my boss told me that, you know, why don't I come out to happy hour? And and I was like, I don't really drink. And he's like, well, it's kind of like the golf course. This is where the deals are done. This is where, you know, your voice can get heard with the people who are visiting from out of town, um, et cetera. So I was like, all right. So then I made a plan and I was going to show up at happy hour and I was going to drink a glass of wine and then a glass of water to make sure I never got too drunk.
0: That's so interesting on one hand. it's It's like, it's great that your boss you know kind of gave you that insider scoop um but it is sad that all of these deals being done and all of these like you know work camaraderies are being built on a foundation that's like a poison that's alcohol that's you know when you're making when you're at your worst decision making ability
1: yeah exactly and it i think if I was reflecting back at that point in time, I just did not know that alcohol was addictive. And I I just kind of don't think it was common knowledge, which sounds weird, but I think because there's kind of been this caveat in our culture that alcohol is only addictive to certain people. Yeah. If you're kind of exposed or um, <clears throat> genetically inclined or, you know, different things like that. So for most people, it's fine. So I never, I never looked at it as, you know it certainly wasn't looked at like oh yeah if I just start drinking this for work over time I'm gonna drink more and more of it
0: yeah I think um I mean that that's a that was a huge surprise to me too and I, and I honestly think we say like I can't believe I didn't know that but I still think a lot of people are almost like willfully um oblivious to that fact and it also I mean back to the context of work I it kind of makes sense why alcohol is such a big part of anything involving like social life because at the same time like there's that awkward like fine line with your work colleagues of like I'm not gonna ask them you know how how's your divorce going or something like I'm not gonna get real deep um, but people are really uncomfortable with like awkward conversation so it's a way of like removing that you know, awkward sensation and, and having small talk but it being less like not pulling teeth from you know, getting your mouth like teeth pulled from your mouth.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's true.
0: Um, so I really loved your approach to this naked mind, which I believe is like both a book and and a philosophy, if if that's the correct way of putting it. Um and I think correct me if I'm wrong, but the strategy that I took away from the book slash um, philosophy is almost to help people like remove any desire to drink by going about that approach of like once you hear something, you can't unhear it. And that's certainly something that I've found with my own sobriety journey is that the more i read the more i like listen to podcasts and, and hear from people the less i ever see myself wanting to grab a glass of alcohol ever again um so i was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about your this naked mind approach and how you and why you developed it
1: yeah so the philosophy and i love how you said that like this naked mind is both a book and a philosophy and the philosophy is <clears throat> that behavior change we when we want to change a behavior or a habit, we just try to jump right in and change that behavior or that habit. So if you want to start running or start exercising, you just start. And with alcohol, and I think anything that has um well, anything, really any behavior change, I found it was really difficult to change over the long term. I could change over the short term, but the root desire, remained. So even though I could not drink over the short term, I found myself wanting to drink even more when I wasn't allowing myself to drink than when I was. And so it was almost as if alcohol was becoming more important to me during the times when I wasn't drinking it. And when I sort of started to look at that critically and say, well, why, why is that? Why did I used to be able to take it or leave it? Why was it used to be something that wasn't important to me at all? What's changed? And what had changed was really a series of habits that had been built into my brain. And if you think of a habit as like a neural firing of neurons that happen as a result of an emotion and action and thoughts happening together, I had repeatedly done things over and over. Oh, alcohol is going to relax me. I have a drink. I believe it's going to relax me. I drink alcohol because of the chemicals that happen initially in the body with a drink. It does appear to relax me. My experience confirms that. And so I build this like very deep wiring in my brain that yes, confirmed it relaxes me. So then I'm trying not to drink it and I get stressed and everything in my brain and body is saying like, well, wait, like you, you needed a drink. I remember using the word need, you need a drink. And the philosophy of this naked mind is just trying to stop the behavior without actually addressing the fact that that has been wired into my brain, the combination of thoughts and feelings and behavior is not gonna work over the long term. And so I start with thoughts, new knowledge, unlearning things that are false about alcohol, learning things that are true about alcohol, that new knowledge changes how you feel, so your emotion changes, and then that ultimately can actually change your desire. So then when you do change your behavior, you have such a better chance at it and it's just so much easier.
0: Yeah, I think that's, honestly, I mean, granted, it's the only approach I've been doing um, to to quit alcohol, but I do think, unless it's gotten so, you know, down such a far route that one can, like, is, like, having withdrawals and, and things like that, it is just a really fascinating way to, like, uncondition yourself to something that just by virtue of being born in the society, as you said, we're being, like, thrown images at us. And, you know, if it's not a television commercial, it's just the very fact that we saw our parents drinking every night. And as you talk about in the book, like, you when you see, like, for, like, me, my, I'm picturing my mom, like, drink, drink a glass of wine after work. It seems like, oh, so adults drink wine after work. And that's just... You know something that makes you you an an adult and it's you know helps you you get like these things and thoughts and ideas conditioned into your mind and then you don't really even know how deep in there they are so it's kind of like an an act of like unpacking everything and then like taking out all the trash (laughs) I'm like really figuring this like metaphor out of like an addict (laughs) Yeah. Um,
1: and I, I think it's worth saying, you know, to your point about it works. It's a good, you know, the idea that focusing on the beliefs and the desire makes a lot of sense until you reach this point where somebody is physically or chemically addicted and they're going to have withdrawal symptoms and there's going to be a whole host of other physical issues with somebody quitting alcohol it's important to know that according to like the center for disease control only 10% of excessive drinkers are actually physically addicted to alcohol so it's not just 10% of drinkers it's 10% of excessive drinkers so it's a very small percentage but even then even if you were to spend 30 days detoxing and rehab and you leave and if you haven't dealt with the underlying beliefs and thoughts and emotions around drinking and haven't kind of rewired or repatterned your brain there, like you will go back to it, which is why there's such terrible success rates with, you know, some of those
0: options. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's such a good point you make, um, So in your book, you, you lay out a couple of like liminal points, which I thought was really interesting because it's really like scientific, your whole book, like based on neuroscience and, and biology and psychology, et cetera. So I was wondering if you could kind of explain a, what a liminal point is for those who don't know and b just a couple from your book and kind of like how they're viewed by society and then, and then like. Just as you did in your book like work to unwind and unpack like is that the truth or is that something that we've just been conditioned to believe is true
1: so in this naked mind the the liminal points are really where we actually do the rewiring process so liminal space is the space between your conscious mind and your subliminal or subconscious and so liminal really just means in between. And the trick to changing anything that's been buried in your subconscious, which all habits are, that's what happens. Habits become, they're conscious over a period of time. And then once the wiring is in place, the brain saves energy by making them subconscious and they happen automatically. And so anytime you want to change something that's buried in your subconscious, you need to bring it out. So you need to like elevate it out by like exploring why did this happen? What was the situation what was the circumstance how did i form this belief where did it come from is this belief true and so it's really an investigation like a lot of curiosity involved and so then bringing it into that liminal space you can manipulate it you can say do i want this you said earlier taking out the trash i think that's a really great analogy or metaphor for this idea of look at what's there and then decide what you want to keep and what's serving you and i think a really good way to think about what's serving you it's not necessarily Yes we should look for truth and that's important but also even if it is true does it help me right like it is true that alcohol will numb you it will physically and you know emotionally numb you because it takes away your ability to receive information from your senses to the fact where they used to use alcohol in surgeries Uh, to, you know, when somebody was undergoing surgery as the anesthetic, now they don't do that anymore because there's things that are less harmful than alcohol, but it will numb you. That's a true thing. But even if that's true, does that serve me? Is it actually the most appropriate form of self-medication considering the fact it's addictive, et cetera. And so that, that liminal, those liminal points are really just taking some of those beliefs that we have and investigating, like, where did it come from? Is it true? Does it serve me? Would I be better off without it? And kind of trying on a new set of thoughts.
0: Yeah, I think that was explained so well. And there are so many things that when you really unpack it and think like, for example, I I can't go to like a social situation without um and have fun without alcohol. And it's like, because I think about that now when I go out, I'm like, well, like, do I want to go? And I'm like, oh, like, I won't be drinking. And then I'm like, well if I needed to have fun or if I needed alcohol to have fun in that situation, that's basically meaning that I needed to like cloud my mind so much that I couldn't even really take away, take in my surroundings. And that's the only way I'd find enjoyment. And it's, it's, yeah, it's just one of those things when you're like, huh, why am I doing this? Like, I feel like a lemming that's just been running with like a bunch of other lemmings to the cliff. And then all of a sudden I'm like, wait, where are we going? Why are we, why am I following this group of lemmings?
1: Totally. And I think that that idea of, you know, I need it to have fun, especially I needed to have fun socially is such a great one to look at from sort of a, you know, perspective of deep curiosity. And is that really true? And one of the things that's worth exploring is the fact that most of us as adults who've been regularly drinking, we've basically paired every single actually fun thing with alcohol. Mm -hmm. So everything from like a baby shower to even like you know, a sporting event, a barbecue, everything you can think of to Tuesday night to Netflix that actually could be enjoyable by itself. We've paired it with alcohol. And so we've created this deep connection that alcohol is the reason it's fun. But if you start to just explore some of those things, there's a lot of curiosity without any judgment. And instead of thinking ahead of time, like, no, this is going to suck. This is going to be terrible. I'm not going to have any fun out at this party without drinking. If you think that, that will be true. Your just brain will make it true because you'll be looking for evidence to support that. But if Mm -hmm. you say, I don't know, this might suck. It might be terrible, but it might also be interesting. Let me just see. Let me just find out. Then in most cases, people report back and they're like, wow, I was surprised how fun that actually was. And even if you think back to your childhood, like things were fun before we drank. It's just that when you associate something with something else for so long, we make this connection and then we believe it is true.
0: Wow, I never, like, now that you say it, there's so many things that we've paired alcohol with, and it's, I mean, it's definitely because of big alcohol and, like, the alcohol industry, but even to the, like, like, I don't know, like, yoga with wine and, like, beer marathons and, like, literally every single thing you can think of, and even, like, fancy dinners like I, I, that chapter where you talked about like meal pairings and like wines with certain um food and how it's been proving that like technically the wine take like takes away your taste buds or like or you can't even taste the food as much so it's like where did we get this idea that you know swishing wine around like, like it's all in the allure and just the what we think is like we really are lemmings just like going on, like going along with something and not questioning like why people do it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's so true. And especially with something like that idea that alcohol makes food taste better. I mean, I think that's just such a good sort of one of the liminal points in this naked mind is I like the taste of alcohol. So that's the premise, right? That's the hypothesis that your brain has. Your brain is certain about it, like as certain as if you know, snow is white or the sky is blue. This is just true. But then if we say, okay, well, where did that come from? How was your first drink? Did you like it? Most people didn't. The only person I've ever talked to who liked their first drink is they basically had Kool-Aid with a tiny shot of Malibu in it.
0: Oh yeah, I think I had Malibu first and I was like, tastes like sunblock, Right, (laughs) terrible.
1: So, so sugary. I was like, okay, like, but there's no one who likes the taste of actual alcohol. And, and so we're like, oh, that's interesting. Okay, well, I just like the distilling and the pairing and the whole thing. But even the idea that it makes food taste better, it literally impairs your taste buds ability to send information to your brain. It's very similar to the idea that alcohol makes sex better. Alcohol literally impairs your body's ability to send like signals to your brain. It impairs your senses. So it impairs your ability to feel. So like it might help you to, if you don't want to have sex, ignore the fact that you're having sex or make it more palatable. And if you think that's better, but on a physiological level, it's not going to make something that you're going to experience with your senses or something that's a sensory experience better. It's just going to make it less.
0: Yeah wow that's so well put and it really I think speaks to another um, like psychological phenomenon that you talk a lot about in your book which is like cognitive dissonance basically like when we know like something we want to be true doesn't align with something like some information we learn and we just use our mind to like push that thought out and I love that example you gave of Um, Being around with your friends, I think it was after skiing and they were all drinking and they're talking about how like plastic bottles sometimes like can like leak poison into the water if they're left out too long. And, And it's like, wow, these people are literally drinking poison and talking about the possibility of like a very, very small possibility of like a tiny bit of poison being in, you know, pushed into their water. It's just like, how can our minds do that?
1: It's like the funniest thing when I see advertisements for organic wine. And (laughs) I'm sitting there thinking like, okay, I don't know how you put the label organic on something that is a known carcinogen. Like there's no doubt. So maybe there were organic grapes, but like I wouldn't, you could probably create organic arsenic technically because organic arsenic would just be without pesticides, but it's still arsenic. So I remember that situation so vividly. We were on, we were all sitting around this round table and they were all drinking and I wasn't drinking and I got a lot of hippie friends and they just started talking about Somebody was drinking water out of a plastic bottle in addition to their wine, and they started talking about how glass was better or, you know, you should really not drink out of plastic because of the BPAs. And and I'm sitting there thinking, like, you're drinking alcohol right now. And so this barrier we put up in our brain to ignore the facts we don't want and double down on the facts that we do want and then try to confirm our previously held beliefs is cognitive, um, well, it's confirmation bias. Mm-hmm. And so confirmation bias is just this idea that we're going to go out of our way to continuously prove to ourselves something that we already decided. And it's really dangerous because it means that we don't think about our thinking as much as we like to. I really like this book from, I think Adam Grant wrote it. And oh, his the book is called Think Again. And the whole book is just unpacking this idea of where are the places that we've decided something and then we're just living in the illusion because our brains are trained. They're automatically programmed to try to minimize decisions and minimize investigations and minimize curiosity to conserve energy. Like that's a big function of the brain. They say, I can't do everything this human is asking me to do if I have to decide again every time. So you don't have to make a decision about turn left or right on your way to work. You just know it just happens automatically. And so how has that function of our brain been really hurting us in places where our thoughts should be revisited, where there is new information that's come to light, where things are very different. And if you look at alcohol specifically, the last time we had a cultural sort of, yes, we all agree on this set of facts was in 1929 Mm -hmm. when it came on the scene. So- it's almost a hundred years. It is very much time for us to say, okay, let's rethink this. Let's think again. Let's look at and examine the premises we held then, because out of the gate, we can see that some of them just aren't true. For instance, that premise was that alcohol was an allergy. And we talked about at the beginning. I didn't know alcohol was addictive because I thought it was only addictive to a certain population a certain fraction of the population who were prone to become alcoholics who are prone to have this allergy. But the reality is that the science is very clear. That's not true. Alcohol is addictive to a human being, you know, one with blood and flesh and bones and cells, any human in the right levels and in the right um, circumstance. And yet we retain collectively as our society, this belief that unless something's wrong with you, Unless you're genetically predisposed, unless you're you have this alcoholism disease, unless you're sick, you aren't really in danger from this substance.
0: Hmm. Yeah. No, I think that's so true. And I and it's funny you mentioned confirmation bias and, and organic wine, and it makes me think of this like this story where I went um I mean a couple summers ago when I was still drinking. I went to an organic wine bar with my friends and you know, had a couple of bottles shared and like the next day we're all texting each other being like, oh, I don't even have a, a hangover like that uh, that organic wine really worked, but it is so funny thinking about that of like it's uh, it just like or if you're like vegan and you're still drinking um like vegan wine there's like vegan wine too just all so so wild um so I really want to talk a little bit more about this whole notion of like an addictive personality because that's something that I'd say probably resonated with me the most about your book it and for context really up until like Couple months, maybe like a month ago, when I started like reading these books and like finishing the books, I also thought that like having an addictive personality uh, made me prone to developing a dependence on alcohol. Like I even in a, like a couple of the first episodes I recorded um for this season, I even mentioned saying like, "Oh yes, like because I have a very addictive personality, which has resulted in." like I did addictive behaviors around food and money and, th- and things like that. Um, like, oh, it, o- it only made sense. And I think that's hard. And it's sad that I, like, took on that almost, like, guilt and blame and responsibility when, like, the more I learned and being like, oh, it, it actually, like, has it's not genetic like like alcoholism there's literally n- it's just the more you drink of this addictive substance the more addicted you will become and it makes it's like I was finally putting all the puzzle pieces together of like oh so the reason why like the first years of college I wasn't as dependent on alcohol as the latter years in college was because I wasn't drinking as much like it all makes sense and So I'd love if you could kind of talk a little bit more about that notion of the addictive personality. And I really especially love what you said about like there's this kind of negative connotation around that phrase like addicted personality or in and like as you said like it's part of like what helped you get your job. It's part of like what made you really a strong person. Um, So yeah, I'm rambling on just because I really, really liked how you phrased that and it made me feel better about myself. So I was hoping you could share that.
1: Yeah, so I remember having an argument with my husband all the time, because he was just so convinced that I just had an addictive personality. And I would be so frustrated because I like definitions, right? And I, <laughs> I value definitions over labels, because I would say an addictive personality is a label. It is something that we slap on somebody that we all have our own interpretation of based on our own background. So you could say, oh, I have an addictive personality because of X, Y, Z. He could tell me I have an addictive personality because of ABC, but we haven't agreed on the definition. okay? And so I think labels are really dangerous because we have not taken that next step to actually agree on what is an addictive personality. What does that actually mean? And when you look it up, there's there's no such thing. They there's, they actually did a lot of research to try to see what actually constitutes. How do you define an addictive personality? And the research was disbanded because they couldn't they could not define it. Now here's the thing: when they what they did find out was that there are certain personality traits that might make somebody more prone to try certain things that are destructive, right? But Mm -hmm. those personality traits are things like extroversion and agreeableness and willingness to try new things and tenacity. And so if you look at those personality traits, where you have this label addictive personality, that's wholly negative, that's shame inducing, that doesn't actually, you know, help anybody make any sort of change. And you compare it to, okay, there might be some traits that if, if you have these traits, Yeah, you might be prone to try alcohol at an earlier age, or you might be prone to be more of a ringleader um, in terms of like being the person always saying, hey, let's go buy drinks. But those traits, you know, the willingness to try new things, the extroversion, the agreeableness, those are also the tenacity, right? Those are also the things that really make me very, very good at so many other things, right? Mm -hmm. It's excellent at networking, for instance, or um, doing an incredible amount of research for a book. It takes a ton of tenacity, you know, stubbornness. (laughs) And so by putting a label of addictive personality on it, I feel helpless. I feel broken. I feel like there's nothing I can do to change this. It's just how I was born. I've given up all of my power to a label that's ill-defined and nobody actually scientifically uses. And it's just so common knowledge that I just say, oh, well, I guess that's just true. When Mm -hmm. the fact is, yeah, maybe there's addictive traits or traits that like can predispose somebody, but those traits are also like all the best, you know, people that I know have a lot of those things. And, you know, people, all the people who kind of change the world have a lot of those sorts of things. Um, Entrepreneurship, the traits that make somebody an entrepreneur and the traits that make somebody more prone to addiction are almost identical. And if you Consider that for a second, like we wouldn't be speaking on this microphone or talking on this platform or, you know, anything if it wasn't for entrepreneurs, if it wasn't for people who saw something that in their minds that didn't yet exist in the world. So I just, I wish we would move beyond the labels and actually start to define stuff. And I think we find so much more
0: freedom in that. Yeah, that's such a good point. And also, I mean, it's not just a coincidence that some of the most successful people in the world are sober. Like it's you look at all these very successful people and they either just decide to be sober on their own or had a problem with addiction. And as you said, maybe it's not because they had a quote unquote addictive personality, but rather that they were, you know, determined and motivated and extroverted and talented and smart because just like very smart, like smart people are more prone to mental illness. We're just kind of (laughs) screwed (laughs) because we're, we think about too much about things.
1: I love, there's a book and it's like, if I'm so smart, why can't I be happy? And I'm like, oh, so true.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Kind of just like make myself. Um, but no, that, that really was so well said. And it makes me feel better too, because it does, when you think about what, those qualities really are it's like oh maybe like not that I like not that I deserve this but it's like okay I I guess it comes at a little bit of a price but I'm also if I have these you know innate strengths then I can power through it and overcome you know whatever I set my mind to so I was wondering what advice you had for someone who is considering they like, um, reconsidering the relationship with alcohol, like not necessarily feeling that they are addicted, but definitely want to cut back. Um, I guess, what advice do you give that person and like, what steps would you advise them to take?
1: So I think primarily the most important thing is just to be asking the right question when it comes to your relationship with alcohol, because often when we feel like, Oh, we might be drinking too much, It's usually because we're starting to count the cost, right? There's starting to be more moments of being hungover, or we're starting to notice a bit carrying around maybe more weight than we want to be carrying around. And we think alcohol might be to blame, or maybe we're having moments that we don't really remember as well the night before and things are fuzzy. And so we usually are asking the question, like, is it bad enough to change? Am I, is this a problem? And I, I just think that's the wrong question from the go, right? I think that we should be asking the question, would I be happier drinking a little bit less alcohol or maybe nothing at all? Because when we start with that question, we're approaching the entire conversation from a get to, not a have to. And just how the human brain works, man, we hate to be told what to do. We do not want to end in and have to do something and you know have to have rules, The whole idea of like, is it bad enough that I have to quit? It's with the presupposition that alcohol is just amazing and who would ever want to quit it. And it's also like with this idea that if the answer is yes, then I'm going to be ultimately punished by having to quit. And so this great thing that you're doing, like literally one of the best things you can be doing for your health is cutting back on alcohol, literally scientifically, without a doubt. The only thing better is if you're a smoker, if you stop smoking and, and in some people's case, it is as if they've been told that they had a terminal illness. And if they stop drinking, they're going to live. This should be the best, happiest, most joyful, like, oh my gosh, I just found out that this thing is causing me problems. It's as if I just found out that I have this horrible allergy to, you know, eggs. And somebody just alerted me to that. And now I get to be healthier again. I get to live my life without these hangovers and without these headaches and without this regret, like this is amazing. But when we're framing it and like, Oh, I guess I have to now just from the very start we're we're starting off in this just miserable state of mind. And all of the most recent science shows us definitively that it is not length of time that leads to behavior change it does not matter how long you do the habit that is only causal it's not i mean correlated it's not causal the only thing that matters is how you feel about the new behavior and mm-hmm. so if you're starting off your entire journey with a question that makes you feel afraid or feel bad or worry then you your chance of ever having any success with it is or you go down from the beginning
0: yeah I think that's such a good point and it's kind of like what you talked about with like the spontaneous sobriety of just not even needing to reach that quote unquote like uh lowest point or you know um I'm forgetting rock bottom um, yeah not even hitting like rock bottom because like why do you have to wait t- till rock bottom like why can't you just continue improving your life instead of, you know, waiting to get all the way down and saying, okay, now let's start all over. It's a lot easier and it makes it more of a choice rather than, as you said, like a punishment.
1: Yeah, and it's worth just exploring that idea of rock bottom too, because for everybody who I've interacted with, and now there's been, you know, thousands of people who look at that rock bottom Generally, again, it's not defined, it's a label. So it's something that we kind of, nobody really understands what that is. And they're like, well, I guess you just have to go further down. I just guess mm-hmm. you have to, go to the bottom. But I've seen people lose their marriages and go back to drinking, lose their kids, go back to drinking, get a DUI, go back to drinking. You know, so really, like most people will push out so called rock bottom over and over and over. And the only real rock bottom is ultimately like death or maybe prison because you can't physically drink until you get out of prison, but then you can still go back. And so this whole idea of like needing to wait for that, oh, just it's, again, an idea that starts us off with this terrible negative emotion about this really positive change that we're making for ourselves.
0: Yeah. It's almost like, like the opposite of chasing the carrot like chasing the carrot till something you know till you get success this is just like keep digging in a hole like waiting for as you said that to get to that rock bottom point but really you're just like going deeper and deeper into like the abyss of suffering yeah so one thing I am very bad at is cooking and not only am I bad at it but I just really don't like it I know this is something I need to work on and I one day will, you know, really buy a bunch of cooking books and teach myself how to navigate a kitchen, but that day is not today. And so I am very thankful for Sakara because as a student with a part-time job and a, um, podcast in a field placement, I don't have much time and I know that's an excuse I was making when I had all the time in the world, but now I really don't have time. And so Sakara so delivers fully prepared meals to your doorstep that are healthy, nutritious and filling. So for someone like me who needs to literally have food placed in front of them in order to eat regularly and keep up with you know maintaining, a help both a healthy relationship with food and also just a schedule um sakara has been such a blessing and i am so lucky that i've been partnering with them for over two years now um, to provide you all with 20 percent off your first purchase so if you're like me and are just not able to fit in time to you know make a meal or are ordering out every single day because it's easier but it's dropping so much money give sakara a try the food's so good i especially actually really love the breakfast they have like really great muffins and things that um are my personal favorite and i also really really love their probiotics so two very different things but you can order them all just use my code xozoe that's X-O-Z-O-E at checkout and it'll get 20% off your purchase. So give it a shot and let me know what you think. So I always kind of wrap up with the same few questions somewhat related to what we've been talking about. Um, The first question is, what's one thing in your life that's happened to you that's made you a stronger person today, not including sobriety? (laughs)
1: Um, So I had a really strange upbringing. I actually was raised without running water or electricity um, on a mountain where we couldn't even get there by car in the winter. We had to ski until we had snowmobiles and we had a snowmobile. Um, And I think that for sure made me stronger. It was funny. I had somebody ask me like, wow, you that explains so much. It's why you're you're so much less afraid than a lot of people. And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, because you had, you know, a hard childhood and I was like it didn't feel hard he's like yeah that's my point (laughs) I was like oh wow
0: so you would like have to ski in order to like go to get groceries
1: yeah so when I was really little my parents would just put me in their backpack and they'd ski um, down to where the road was and then they could take the road into town but there was even if you could take a snowmobile you couldn't take it all the way to the cabin depending on the time of year so you'd have to still still hike in and, and carry some stuff.
0: Wow, that's wild, but yeah, that's very unique too. <laughs> uh, do you believe everything happens for a reason?
1: Yeah, I think I do. I don't know that I like would say like that that's one of my core things, but I think if I was, oh, I don't even know that it all happens for a reason as much as I believe that it all can create goodness if Mm -hmm.
0: yeah I like that phrasing or like finding the reason or a good reason that something happened yeah like we can find
1: gratitude for for everything no matter what it is
0: I agree do you have a favorite quote or a mantra that you live by
1: oh my gosh I have so many favorite quotes um Right now, though, I think one of my favorite things that I've been I've been saying a lot is it's the Lao Tzu poem, and it says that if there if we want to have peace in the world, we have to have peace in the nations, and if we want to have peace in the nations, then we have to have peace in the countries, and if we want to have peace in the countries, we must have peace in the cities, and peace in the cities, we must have peace in the home, and to have peace in the home, we must have peace in the heart, and it's just. It's so telling about for so much of my life, I think I I spent a lot of time just being angry at all the things that were wrong in the world. And the reality is that if I'm not internally bringing peace, then I'm actually part of the problem, not the solution.
0: I love that. And it's true. It's I mean, I think that can be applied in so many different ways of like, you know, looking at starting local and, and things like that, but also just. As you said, like, in like, n- you'll never be happy if you're not happy with yourself first. So true. Or I, I saw it was a TikTok that was like, um, you have to like you have to stop loving yourself and you have to start loving being yourself. Mm-hmm. Basically, saying like, if you're just loving yourself, you're an object. If you're loving being yourself, you're the subject. No, I and I was, know. I love TikTok <laughs> for those new little, um. <laughs> facts or whatever you want to call them. Speaking of, uh, what do you love most about yourself?
1: Uh, I think I really love um, my ability to make connections that aren't obvious to other people. So, you know, if I, like, I don't know, go and watch, my son and I were watching Hamilton, and this is about, you know, the like hundreds of years ago, the forming of America and just things in it, I was relating to, Oh, well, that's kind of like this over here. And that's kind of like this over here. And I think, um, it's really fun for me. So I really enjoy it. And I think it's, it's valuable too.
0: Wait, that's so funny. You're actually the second of two authors I've had to bring up Hamilton oh, <laughs> when really? talking about sobriety. Yeah. I mean, maybe maybe the connections you're thinking of aren't related to sobriety but when i had um uh sarah levy on she talked about how like when she she kind of compared herself to like Aaron burr when she was drinking and hamilton when she was sober because um mm-hmm. hamilton had all these ideas and could put thought into action and was writing um like he was running out of time whereas Aaron Burr was just like agreeable like kind of said yes to everything and didn't stand up for himself um so that's so funny I, my, times.
1: The connection I made um was just watching how a very small group of individuals can actually create like a, a a new way of of thinking and being that can last hundreds and hundreds of years.
0: Yeah, that's so true, and it's, it's inspired. I mean, I love that musical. I re I saw it recently, so it's like top of mind, but. Um, that is, like, just something to keep in mind, I think, that everyone should kind of have in their back pocket. Um, and so my last question, which is the name of the podcast, and I guess it's, I mean, you, I can see your background. It looks so beautiful and peaceful that I don't know if this is as um, much in line where you are physically, but how do you find solace in the city? So, like, maybe that's mentally because again, it looks like you're in paradise. (laughs) I don't know where you'd really need to go. Uh,
1: I think it's interesting because no matter where you are, um, I think that it actually is really such an internal thing. You know, you can Mm -hmm. be, we spent the last week, unfortunately, in the hospital with my father-in-law who was really having a hard time and having seizures. And, um, It was one of the most chaotic places like we were in the ICU all day and, you know, code blue and terrible things are happening. And yet I think able to just cultivate peace by focusing on coming more and more into the present moment. Um, I'm going to tell you this kind of theory I have, which I haven't really articulated it much, so it might not make any sense, but I think you would get it based on our conversation so far. But if you go to like our smallest building blocks of, of of matter, right, you go to atoms and then inside atoms are particles and the particles are like the neutron and the proton. And if you look at them, if you were to take, I believe, a proton or an electron and then the distance between that and the other particle inside an atom, if you were going to say like one of those particles is the size of a car, the distance between it and the next particle is two and a half kilometers. So there's so much more empty space inside every single atom than there is actual matter. And I think that it's in that empty space that the energy is and and the joy is and the life is and the consciousness is and the life force is. And so for me, like solace comes in all the spaces, like in all the moments. Like if you go into any moment, and you go really into it and you just notice how how your skin feels, what you see with your eyes, all of your senses. Like there's so much depth and space inside any moment that it doesn't matter like when I lived in New York City or here, like you can find that place of peace in the spaces. And I think that's just, you know, we're all made of just space and we spend so much time on the tiny fractional stuff, but we're actually just all... Um, like I've heard a statistic that if you took all the actual matter of all the human beings on the entire planet, we'd fit inside of like a teacup or something.
0: Oh, wow. I love that. It is like the ultimate way of finding presence because when you're focused on the external or like the material, you're kind of losing sight of that. Um, That's Good thought. And I, it's, I'm like a science, like math nerd. So I I appreciate all of the logical facts. Uh, well, Annie, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Where can everyone, uh, follow you, buy your books, uh, learn more about you, plug everything.
1: So I have um, This Naked Mind podcast is probably what podcast listeners might be most interested in. And it's uh, people's stories every Friday and then me answering questions every Saturday. And then I have a free app with hundreds and hundreds of videos and just um, I think we have 80,000 people in a community in there. So it's This Naked Mind in the app store. And inside that app, there's a free 30-day um, alcohol experiment, which is kind of a daily video. If you want to just dip a toe, try it out, ask that question. Would my life be a bit better drinking a bit less with no, no pressure, no rules, no need to get sober. Um, no need to change anything, but just explore it.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much again. And bye everyone. Bye.